This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Phyllis Grant may not be a household name, but she will be. She is a pastry chef, a food writer, and the author of an acclaimed new book entitled Everything is Under Control, a memoir with recipes. The reviews have been extraordinary, and we are here to celebrate its recent publication. It's not easy to promote a book in the middle of a pandemic, but this book satisfies every inch of our souls with its authenticity and candor about cooking and motherhood, and with mouth-watering recipes anyone can make. Phyllis is a wildly popular presence on Instagram, at Dash and Bella, where you can see her cooking, philosophizing, and sharing personal stories from her gracious kitchen in Berkeley, California. Coming up, you'll hear how her rigorous training in modern dance led to a life in four-star kitchens, how motherhood became a major turning point in both wondrous and difficult ways, how Phyllis's unique, spare, and poetic writing style has everyone talking, how her jammy tomato anchovy sauce became a genius recipe, and why Ruth Reichel calls her recipes completely irresistible. This is her story. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Phyllis Grant, it is such a thrill to have you here today on One Woman Kitchen. Your journey in food has already been an exciting one. But from the sound of it, it looks like the best is yet to come. And we're here today to actually celebrate the publication of your new book. Maybe it's your first book. We can talk about that. But it is a book that has gotten such fabulous reviews. It's called Everything is Under Control. And I want to know if you meant that to be serious or you wanted people to really wonder about that title. Was everything under control or not? And it is a memoir with recipes. And the reviews have been wonderful. One of my favorites is from Ruth Reichel, who was actually just a guest on the show. Quote, Phyllis Grant has the voice of a poet and the sensuality of a cook. This very brave book makes you want to experience the world with equal intensity. As for the recipes, completely irresistible. I worked on this book for so many years, for the past seven years, but also honestly for the past 30 years. I mean, it's just been mm -hmm. sort of little snippets of my life that I've kept and stored in emails and, and so on. And, um, and it was nice to finally pull them together. And I pulled them together a few years ago into something that was very big. It was a memoir that was um, overpacked overly sentimental, overly emotional. And what I spent the past four years doing was paring it down into, I was hoping would be sort of the essence of what my life was like. And so in many ways, I think I was moving in a more poetic direction, but I didn't really intend to do that. And, and it, it, I think in some ways it has allowed more people to relate to the book in some ways. Well, that's really what makes it so special. And I think one of the reasons I was so taken by that word is that 
at a very old age, Phyllis, I went back to school to actually get my MFA in poetry. So oh, okay. I was really very taken with that. And I do think you invented a, a new form. It almost feels like a long prose poem, which mm-hmm. is a very interesting way to present a, a life that's already been jam-packed. And I love the idea of getting to essence. And of course, as a chef, which you are, um, you know, cooking is a lot about getting to essence too, isn't it? But thank you for sharing that big truth that you've really been working on this either for seven years or, or 30 years. And you began as a dancer. And Phyllis, I don't know if you know the cliche a little bit about very often women who have gone to art school or majored in art history, they wind up in the pastry departments of restaurants somehow. There was a connection between art and pastry and women. But we have been interviewing so many women, 10% of them started out as dancers. So tell me a little bit about that. And was it ballet or a different kind of dance? It was, it was modern. And you know, it's so amazing is I, I, I did bring a pile of books with me um, just because I know I'd forget the names of the writers and, and the authors. There's just so much in my head. But um, I started reading a memoir yesterday called Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger by Lisa Donovan. And she... I discovered on about page 25 was also a dancer. So mm-hmm. that is in my mind this week, this, you know, and she's a pastry <laughs> chef. So it's, there's something about the meticulousness of movement and the physicality of it that lends itself to pastry. Although I would say for me personally, um, that over the past 17 years, I've been cooking at home mostly. And that's when I'm transitioned from the careful, meticulous pastry more to, I wouldn't say wild cooking, but more savory, <laughs> more experimental, uh, more playful, more comfortable, more confident. So in some ways, I feel like it was it was a logical extension of my my dance training to do something that where you follow the recipes and you're very careful and it's very beautiful but but I I, it was partly I just hadn't sort of cracked myself open yet into a different kind of cooking later which is more my comfort zone so that sort of has been my evolution you know in a nutshell over the past 35 years but I did do modern dance my entire childhood and then I went to Juilliard in New York City and that was that was a wake-up call (laughs) boy that was a that was a talented group and I uh I was good, but as I mentioned in the book, I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. You know, I really, uh, um, I, I showed up and I, I did the work, but uh, I was surrounded by some incredible talent. And a lot of those people have continued dancing on and I, I moved on to cooking as, as I sort of fell in love. That was my next, I fell in love with dance as a child. And then as a young woman in New York, I fell in love with cooking. Well, I think the idea of standing on your feet is maybe another asset if to go from dance to cooking so (laughs) true right and then uh also the idea of being part of an ensemble right it's almost choreography to uh work I think in a pastry department especially very good restaurants so what was your first restaurant foray I know you've worked in three really top restaurants in New York Mm -hmm. so how did you sort of dance over and get the first job (laughs) what was that like well it I've been talking to people about this recently uh, and remembering a very different time, which was the 90s in New York. And that was a time when you could pretty much knock on the back door of a restaurant and say, hey, I'll work for free for a few hours. What do you need? What can I do? And I, that's what I did. And I did that with French bakeries. And I did end up doing that with Boulet as well. Um, so it was, it was about sort of um, having, you know, I didn't have kids. I 
Um, I was working at a cafe. I was bored and I was cooking at home, cooking my way through some of my most favorite cookbooks then and now, and I'll get to those later. Mm-hmm. And I, I was teaching myself how to cook in my house, but I knew that I, I was, it was just the tip of the iceberg. So I knew I needed to get into these kitchens in order to, to see how it all worked. And I have to say, I was stunned by how intense it was. Mm-hmm. And I love the, you know, the relation to movement and standing on your feet and the physicality, because you have to be so strong to lug those huge Hobarts around and to do the kneading. And, you know, it's, it, it was a natural extension of the physical work I've been doing my entire life to walk into a kitchen, but it was so, so stressful. It was, it was quite overwhelming. I mean, I was, I could barely breathe. I couldn't believe it because it was a whole new language. Maybe it was physical and certain things were familiar, but most things were totally foreign, totally different language. Was there anything in your childhood at all that even gave you the inkling that this is something that you might love or was it dance 100%? No, it, it, was, it was not dance 100%. I would say that it was dance 95% and the other five <laughs> was baking. It was, it it was, and you know, I like relating it to the 17 recipes in my cookbook because what I did as a child is I just made the same recipes over and over again. I made chocolate chip cookies thousands of times, (laughs) you know, each time tweaking a little, a little more salt, a little more vanilla. You know, I did the same thing with banana bread, with crepes, with uh, waffles. I I did, they, they were templates in many ways. And I taught my friends, I taught my family, and these are the recipes that I'm still making you know, but they're the ones I was making also when I was six in my kitchen. And, and now uh, it was sort of a way of, I think pastry at that time and making douche de Noel, making um, pancakes. It was just, it was very, it was very controlled. Coming back to the, the title of the book, everything's under control. I was sort of keep trying to keep it together <laughs> with, <laughs> with the baking. It, it was very comforting. Baking, baking was, was a way to keep things sort of contained and clear and satisfying. Beautiful. Well, actually, let's get to the title and then we'll move on to some of your heroes in the dance world and also in uh, cookbooks or just food writers. So everything is under control. So you really meant that. You felt like you wanted to put that idea out there that you, you got this. Yes. Well, no. Well, I would say that I, I like I like saying it and believing someday it will be true, but it's never it never feels under control. Nothing ever has. But I have found tools, whether it's pastry as a child, dance, uh, yoga, mm. uh, reading, actually writing. I mean, writing is a, for me, a form of control, a form of processing. And as I said, I've been working on this book for so long. And, and a lot of it was when I really had a hard time postpartum, I got through that period by writing about it. And so what you read in the book about postpartum is a few pages, but the truth is it's actually thousands of emails to my friends where we were writing back and forth. They were getting me through it. And then when they went through it, I was I was sort of going back and re- reading my stories and helping them get through it. So it's like passing, passing it on from um, just helping support each other, helping support these very challenging experiences and trying, going back to control, thinking we're in control, but we're not, but finding the tools to get through. So it's so that's why I was so attracted to the title because it's a little bit playful and it's also really a big statement in in many ways. It's wonderful. Tell me a little bit about your heroes in dance when you were doing modern dance. Did, were there one or two dancers or dance groups that you were really smitten with? 
Yeah, well, um, in the Bay Area, there was a, there still is actually a dance company called the Margaret Jenkins Dance Company. And um, Margie Jenkins sort of took me under her wing and helped me with my, my um, senior thesis at Juilliard, which was a thesis at Juilliard is a dance. <laughs> it's not written, it's an actual. So she helped me choreograph it. And she just supported me throughout high school. She went to Juilliard herself. So she was my mentor in many ways. And then once I was in New York, I, I worked with a man named Stanley Love, um, and he was in my class at Juilliard, and sadly he died last year. And we were all going to have a big tribute party to him in March in New York City, but of course everything, well, <laughs> shut down, so we didn't get to go. But I worked with him throughout Juilliard and performed with him um, after I graduated. And then, of course, this was the time where I lived on Bethune Street, a block from Merce Cunningham, so I would see him walk by every day and. Oh, so yeah, it was so well, he didn't really walk at that point. He was so arthritic. He would shuffle with his grocery bags. It was really, it was quite moving, but there he would go. And um, so I would sometimes take class there. And the honest truth is halfway through Juilliard, I, I realized I, I had fallen in love with dance and I loved it and I'd worked hard, but I needed to think of something else. So I think the dream of, oh, I need to be in that company. This is, I'm in New York city. I'm going to do this. I, the dream sort of petered out and it shifted towards food. And that's when I was at Juilliard when I started reading um, all about food in the New York Times. The, uh, at that point it was the Friday section, I think was the food section. It wasn't on, it's on Wednesday now, I think, but then, it was, yeah. So that was the best day of the week when I got to get the New York <laughs> Times food section and read the reviews and read this cooking tips and think about where I could spend my very little money and go, go eat something special. So the dreams were shifting when I was about 20. Who uh, 20? Who yeah. was the first person you told that you were making this switch, Phyllis? And, and did you feel you needed to get permission from someone to do it? Uh, I think people were really sensing it. I'm not really sure I needed to tell people because I was so obsessed. I, all <laughs> I wanted to talk about was food and where to eat in New York and what was going on. I would just, I didn't have any money. So I just want to walk by the restaurants and peek inside. But I, I did, I shared a lot of it with my, my husband now, but my boyfriend at the time. And uh, he knew, I think everyone just saw that I was lost to food. That was it, you know, almost stronger than that pull to dance that took over. Interesting. And once you yeah. went through the kitchen door, you had no regrets and you knew this was for you. Well, <laughs> except for, <laughs> I didn't realize how hard it would be though. I, I, uh, I, I never, I still have not lost the love of, of food and cooking, but I, I did lose the love of cooking in four-star New York City restaurants in the 90s. Uh, I burned out pretty fast. It was, I want to say I got in at 10 in the morning and uh, would prep and then we would start lunch. Let's see, I would start dinner service around five and then I would have to do work after dinner service was over. So 10 a.m. through dinner service till maybe sometimes one or two in the morning and then do that six mm -hmm. days a week. Wow. And plenty of people do that. And they, that's just part of sort of paying your dues, you know, and I did it for a while. I did it for a few years, but it, uh, the, my quality of life outside of the restaurant. Well, for one thing, I didn't have a life outside of the restaurant. So you worked at Nobu, you worked at, um, Boulet, you uh -huh. worked at Michael's restaurant, and that is your restaurant life. But I think we're here today to really celebrate the next stage of your life, which had to do with becoming a mother, with starting a really popular, beloved blog, and of course, your new book. So when we come back, Phyllis, we'll take a deep dive into all of that. Here's a cooking tip to share. This from my guest, Phyllis Grants. 
um, garlic oil is something I put on almost everything these days. So if you have a little nub of garlic left over or you want to grate some into the oil, leave it on the counter for just a few days. And if you don't use it within say three days, what I like to do is I like to slice up a bunch of potatoes and then dump that garlic oil onto the potatoes with some salt, some fresh rosemary, throw it in the oven. And there you go. So it's, it, it can extend, it can be a topping and then extend into some baked potatoes. From Phyllis's kitchen to yours. Give it a try and pass it along. And now you have my heart. So Phyllis, the first stage of your career in food had to do with working in really intense four-star restaurants in New York. Not everyone starts out that way. But then at one point, you must have decided that you wanted food to morph into something else. And what happened? Yeah, well, I, I did, as I mentioned, I did um, burn out uh, and I found sort of that feeling, I didn't know it yet, but that feeling of when you have newborns where you're sleep deprived and anything sets you off and you cry and mm -hmm. it's hard to concentrate and people started commenting um, that I just wasn't all there and I didn't seem like myself. Mm. So, so I, I actually, I quit working at Boulay and went back to dancing for a little bit. And you know, what's amazing is I had forgotten that until you asked me that question, but I did go back to it and do a final performance a really vigorous, uh, I think it was like an hour and a half straight um, performance, which with a bunch of dancers with Stanley, that man I mentioned earlier who died last year. And, and meanwhile, I was thinking I, that what I wanted to do is to, um, do a little more cooking in restaurants, but in a bit mellower way. And that's when I went to work at Nobu and Pastry. And believe it or not, that was easy compared to working at Boulay. Working at Nobu, partly because the, the hours were better mm -hmm. and it, it just, it, they'd been doing the same thing for a while. There wasn't a lot of creativity, but there was a little, it was, it was sort of, it was actually relaxing, believe it or not. And it gave me a, a little time to think about what I wanted to do. And I knew it, it needed to be in food. Um, and I decided to go back to school and get a second undergrad degree at Columbia. So I, I had my degree in dance and I went back to school and I got a second undergrad degree in writing um, when I was 27. Wow. Yeah, it was very humbling. I was 27 in class with 18 year olds and I lived downtown and I would take the subway there and show up and I was so stressed out and scared to open my mouth and talk and they were so confident. But the, <laughs> the one area where I felt like, oh, I have a leg up was, were these writing workshops. And that's where I actually felt like I could stand up there, read my work. Everyone was listening and I felt like I had something important to say. And partly it was life experience. I had some stories to tell. And partly I think I had just found my comfort zone, which was writing about what was hard up until that point at 27. What's crazy is I didn't know what was coming in terms of <laughs> postpartum depression and childbirth and parent. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, I had no idea, but it's still at 27, I felt like I had some stories to tell. And I also was working at Zagat Restaurant Guide um, as an editor while I was going to school. And I was, free, I was doing some freelance editing at Random House of cookbooks. So I was just starting to dip my toe into the publishing world at the same time. So it was a great, it was in three years, I got my second undergrad degree, did a lot of editing and started thinking about what I could do with food that wasn't being on my feet 16 hours a day. 
I had this career that I could take to LA. My husband was acting and doing really well. He had a career he could take to LA. We were in a 375 square foot apartment with a dog. We'd been there for a while. We were craving change and space. It had been a decade in New York. And then this horrible thing happened and it's almost 9-11 and it's, it almost sort of cracked us open to the possibility of leaving. It's, it's hard to leave New York City. Yeah, I, I still feel like I can't believe I left. I love it so much. I, I miss it every day. But there was something about that tragic day that just made us say, hey, we only live once. Let's just, we bought a, well, we leased a car, our first car, threw our dog in there and <laughs> schlepped across the country and, and started over in Los Angeles. And it was not easy. <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm gla- I'm, yeah, I'm glad we did it. I mean, um, but, and then I got pregnant really quickly. So once we moved there. So the truth is everything within that year, 9-11, moving to Los Angeles and then getting pregnant. And I had one of those pregnancies where I threw up constantly for 20 weeks. So I think about this period as it's yeah. very, just feels sort of dramatic, which it's really not, but I, I think emotionally dramatic. When you feel that sick all the time and you're trying to teach yoga and you're in, we were in mm. such debt we, you know, because we'd done this crazy thing moving to Los Angeles. Um, so it was, uh, it was, it was a rough, it was a rough period, but I'm really glad we left and started over and did something new. Well, yes. So you certainly did start over because you um, had children, you have a blog called Dash and Bella, and now you have this magnificent new book called Everything is Under Control. A memoir with recipes. Did I read something about your your mother helping you enter a contest, a writing contest? Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, it's 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 actually one of my most favorite stories. Thanks for asking. So, okay, um, I got pregnant when we were in Los Angeles, and then had extreme postpartum depression, and we decided to move north to Berkeley, above my grandmother, where there was an apartment available, and my parents lived in Berkeley, so that I could have a little support. And my husband commuted to Los Angeles. So he was on a TV show called um, Big Love at the time on HBO. And he, it was great. It was a great job, but he spent a lot of time there. So I was here in Berkeley and then we had a second child and he was continuing to commute. And I was, I was losing my mind a little bit. I have to say with, with parenting two young kids by myself and um, used to working 12, 15 hours a day too. I I know who knew parenting would be the hardest thing I ever did, but (laughs) It still is. But <laughs> so my mother was a little worried about me and she saw that Knopf um, was having a contest that was connected to the movie, Julie, Julia. Do you remember that movie starring Amy Adams about Julia your Child? Yeah. So the contest was pick a few recipes, a few Julia Child recipes, cook them, tell a story, take some pictures, submit it and enter to win so much cool cooking stuff. This enormous Le Creuset <laughs> pod and dish. T- I mean, it was just like a, a treasure box. That, and I thought, why not? How fun. I've got nothing to lose. So I spent the weekend um, making Julia Child recipes and, you know, almost burning the caramel and the, the lamb was overcooked. And, you know, and, and I told the story with photos and with a very similar style of writing to my book. And uh, I didn't have a way to enter the contest because you have to have a blog. I guess you have to have a blog. And I didn't have a blog. And I thought, well, I guess the only way to enter is to start a blog. So it was like this photo <laughs> finished. Everything was ready, but I didn't have a blog. And I said, oh, what's it going to be called? And I decided to name it Dash and Bella. And I submitted it. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then I get this email a few weeks later saying I had won. It was so fun. And and I thought, okay, great. That That's beautiful. I, that just about killed me doing that. And I'm, I'm not going to do that ever again. 
just going to keep taking care of my kids and cooking the food and taking photos. But my dad said, Hey, give it a shot. Do one more post, see what happens. And I was like, Oh, okay, I'll try. And I did it. And then there was a sense of momentum and community outside of my, outside of my home that felt so supportive. And it was, it was a great creative outlet for me. And I started developing my own recipes. And then I started writing about more than just cooking. I started writing about uh, how hard um, the postpartum depression had been, about how hard marriage can be. And I just started to tell all these stories, but they were always wrapped around food in some way or another, but it wasn't necessarily direct. It wasn't, oh, we're getting up today and making cupcakes. It was, this is how I feel today and very physically how I feel. Like, how do my collarbones feel? And are my feet grounded? And what the hell? Why is this so hard? And and then somehow we'd land in, into a tart's patin. I don't, I don't know, but that's just because <laughs> that's just what happens. You know, that's just what happens. Oh, so, Phyllis. I, I kept doing it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10 years I did that blog. So. Yeah. I think you are approaching all of this in such a new way. I, I, so it's not surprising me at all that the book is getting the attention. I really wasn't familiar with your beautiful uh, blog called Dash and Bella. Yeah. And Dash these and are your children's names. Correct. Yeah. So Isabel and Dashel. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Because we're living in a very real world and real times. And the fact that you can be so open and honest about um, well, whether the depression or how your body is feeling and marriage and all of this, you know, we don't have people to share the truth with us about the way life can be. And I can't wait to sign on. But how long do you think it really took from this very, you know, from starting your first blog post to this community that you developed? Because I know now you have thousands and thousands of people following you. Well, that's a good question. And I think it's a very different time. I mean, I started my blog in 2009 and I, some of the blogs are are still going strong. I haven't really put anything up on my blog in a few years. I've transitioned over to Instagram and uh, especially I, I knew in order to write, to finish doing this book, I couldn't maintain the blog because for me, just one blog post, just two paragraphs sometimes would take me a month to write because I, a real I wonder. Wrote, Well, I'm certainly a rewriter. I mean, I, 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 yeah, it's just, and, and my process of writing is often free writing and it's just, it's just so many words and I just spend weeks and weeks paring it down and paring it down. So I knew that in order to give my book the attention it needed, I would have to stop the blog. And in some ways the timing was right. Um, to stop it when I did um, and to transition over to Instagram because I feel like I'm able to tell stories there as well, you know, shorter form stories. But I think I lost track of your question, which was the community. The community is so strong on Instagram right now. Um, The support has been absolutely beautiful. And it's a way for me to reach out and say, hey, what are you guys craving right now? What should I, what should I focus on? It's a way to sell my book, actually. Every time I post there, hey, LinkedIn profile, I would love your support. Boom so many books sell. So it's it's working in that way. And I think there was a transition about six years ago when a lot of those people from the blog started to step over to Instagram as well. So I think part of it is, is timing for me. It's lucky. Um, and part of it is I have always, whether it's the blog or Instagram, been very careful about being raw and open and honest and never precious and um, just telling it like it is. Uh, not curating too much. In fact, 
my, I think it's my most popular post ever on Instagram. It's actually a sink full of dirty dishes. That people, <laughs> when they see, when they see that, uh, they just, or, or a pile of dirty laundry. I mean, that it's, it's so helpful to show that to people and to say, that's my life too. It's hard. Absolutely. You have really connected in a way that feels very spontaneous and very real, so authentic. Phyllis, I understand that you grew up in a very interesting household too, because you were really surrounded by art and music and that your grandfather was a very well-known, very acclaimed painter, that your father, I know, was the director of the uh, Pacific Mozart Ensemble and that your mother was an actress. And you're very, very modest and low-key about all of this. And I'm not sure if you even write about it, but how did it affect you as a person, a creative person? Well, I, what I guess what I would say is it it I the message from my parents always was follow your heart, do what you love. It was never about follow the money or follow what's most practical or and that's not always the best message for every kid. I think it was a, a great message for me because the truth is when I follow my heart, things seem to work out pretty well. I'm knocking on wood now, <laughs> knocking <laughs> knock my head. Um, but uh, that I, I was I was surrounded by abstract art because of my grandfather. From a very young age, I was able to uh, interpret abstract art because um, it, there was a sense of uh, with music, with paintings that there are millions of there are an infinite amount of interpretations for every work of art. That was the message I was given. And that's what I believed as a modern dancer as well. When I choreographed, I mean, there are just, there are so many ways to tell a story. Um, I think being, going back to your question, being in that environment really has kept me open-minded with, with writing, with cooking, um, with just looking at a painting and talking to my kids about it and saying, what do you see? You know, there's no right way to look at this. I do not like being told. (laughs) And I don't (laughs) want my kids to think that there's only one way. There's just, there are so many, and there's so much pleasure in, in that interpretation. So that would be the, the, the message that I got, I would say over and over again. And it's, it's fun to grow up with that. And I'm trying to reinforce that with my kids as well. So wonderful. Good question. Lucky lucky them. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) Phyllis, when we come back, I want to hear more about the pile of books you brought from the people who really have inspired you. I want to talk a little bit more about your own beautiful memoir and about some of the recipes and what it's like cooking with Dash and Bella. If you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden, written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter, Audrey Appleby. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. Phyllis, so very often I ask who has inspired my guest? And very often it's one person or a family member or mother, and I'm sure your mother has inspired you and your grandmother. But it seems like there have been many people who've inspired you. So what are the books you brought? Who's in your pile? Oh, it's so big. Let's see. Well, I, I will start with Chez East Desserts. So uh, Lindsay Cher, uh, S-H-E-R-E, I think it's pronounced Cher. 
So she was the pastry chef at uh, Chez Panisse in the, in the early days. And this was the book. I taught myself to make pastries via this book. And it's very much a narrative style um, of recipe um, writing, which I, that's the way I write as well. So it's very comfortable for me. It's sort of telling the story of cooking as you cook, which I love. So that would be my number one if I had to pick one. Um, well, Lulu's Provencal Table. Mm. is another one Richard uh Richard Olney. Olney. yes yes I learned how to caramelize onions via that book among other <laughs> things um well um women on food Charlotte Charlotte Druckmann it's a um, a new wonderful anthology yeah that's another one um Kristen McGlore a friend of mine at food 52 she's the one who does the genius um the genius genius recipe yes. genius recipes and she has several books and I actually one of my recipes in the book for the jammy tomato anchovy sauce is oh she's selected as a genius recipe which just moved me so much I have to say so um and then Liz Pruitt of Tartine in San Francisco her book Tartine all day uh spectacular so a few new books that I've been loving um Susan Spungen's Open Kitchen Love if you've seen that. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, when pig, when pies fly, Kathy Barrow. Do you know Kathy Barrow? I don't. Um, she, Thank you. Oh, she's so great. And uh, repertoire, Jessica Batalana. Uh, two more. Midwest Made by Shauna Seaver. And I'm going to throw in one more. Um, Feed Your People, my friend Leslie Jonas um, put together. It's a compilation of recipes, but for big groups. And it's such a helpful book and it's oh, just going to be around forever. Great. And it's just such a good one. So I could honestly, I'll stop there, but cause I'm looking at this massive pile, but those would be the <laughs> ones that I, it was just so easy to go to my cookbook shelf and, and say, women, come on, come with me. <laughs> you know, this big pile. I had my daughter carry them out with me. So mm. it's fun to look at this, this very moving pile of books for sure. What a great list. Thank you so much. But yeah, I'm going to, my pleasure. I'm going to add one more to it, and um, it's called Everything is Under Control. <laughs> so this is an amazing new book that just came out this week. I don't think it's easy to necessarily do a publicity tour when everyone is on lockdown, but you'll find a way, and I think you already have through your wonderful Instagram. But what do you want people to really know about this book? It is, it's a memoir and certainly about food, but it's about so much more. What would you like people to take away from it? Well, I think it's sort of going back to what I said before, this uh, this sort of essence of, of, of life and how we all are really going through the same things over and over again. I mean, I have my particular postpartum experience or my particular experience as a young dancer in New York, but it's just this sort of um, the flow of, of appetite and of, of dreams and of desires and how we, how we follow those or we don't. And I, I, I'm hoping, I was actually thinking about young women reading this book and what it would feel like to, to sort of, to live through <laughs> my book, like before you have lived through, um, pregnancy or leaving home or, you know, it's just, Going back to your question, I think that I've been finding it's a book that's bringing comfort to a lot of people. And I'm tr still trying to understand why it's bringing comfort. But I, I think I'm partly, it might be people who've been through these things already. Or as I said, it's young women who haven't even set foot out the door. But just to, to show that it, it's not under control, but it's, it's manageable. And there's so much beauty, even in the chaos of it all. Mm. And we all have to cook. We all have to eat. We don't have to cook. I don't want to put that on people. We don't all have to cook, but we have to eat. So 
um, there, the recipes in here are templates. You, the goal for me when I write recipes is to present people with a starting place and then they should just make it their own. So I'm hoping that the way I've written these recipes will allow people to bring these recipes into their home and then um, tweak them and reject them and and, <laughs> um, and incorporate their families, you know, and their kids and their partners. And uh, it can it can be really fun to cook the same things over and over again. That's another thing. I'm not sure I've ever had the experience of really cooking or baking something time and time and time again. And I'm excited about that. Thank you. Oh, I love hearing that. My pleasure because that's how I learned to cook. So the past. 17 years, my daughter's 17. I've been cooking three meals a day for 17 years. Um, and a lot of the same ones over and over again. And you learn so much by cooking the same recipe. You really do. Fantastic. And so do, and so do kids too. So. And another thing um, you just said that I love is a takeaway, but about there being beauty in the chaos. And that's something mm -hmm. so important to keep in mind and even really look for like, this is a mess. It's a beautiful mess. You know, this is a great idea when you think about food sometimes. It doesn't have to always be so perfect. Um, no, not at all. It really doesn't. There's, there is a lot of beauty in, 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 in noodles, you know, slopping over the edge of the bowl. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. It just means it's people are enjoying it. But it, it's true. You can always tell with food photography if it's too perfect, too precious, that it's, uh, it doesn't, you don't want to eat it. That was a great looking plate of pasta, by the way, on your Instagram today. Thank you. That that was dinner. I have to say that 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 was a. It's been a. We've had a weird. Uh, well, as we all have had a weird five six weeks, and and um, sitting down to dinner doesn't always go smoothly. But last night, maybe it was the pasta. It went well. <laughs> it looked great and a little messy, you know, which is why for sure special and very artsy. A little bit like an abstract painting yeah. of, your grand, of your grandfather, um, Phyllis. So I don't know how you went about choosing which recipes to go in the book. Was there a particular kind of theory or philosophy you had? Well, uh, my goal was to um, to have some sort of some moment in the book where something about the recipe was mentioned or it was tasted or alluded to. So it wasn't necessarily direct. I mean, with some of them, it's direct. The the um, strawberry um, tart. Um, there's a scene where I'm making a strawberry tart. So in the end, I thought, oh, I'll put a strawberry tart, but there, there are chocolate chip cookies throughout the book, but I have brownies in the end. So it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not direct. It's more just what I have been cooking my whole life. And the ones that, that, that work, here's what it is. The, it, the recipes I chose are the ones you can make any time of year. It's not, it's not seasonal, which is kind of strange coming. I mean, I live in Berkeley and it's all about <laughs> um, local seasonal and so on, which I, I totally am a believer in. But also we need to have recipes that we can make and we can, where, where we can get the ingredients at any market, any time of the year. And it doesn't matter where we live. But, so you just need a little flour, a little sugar, some garlic, whatever. And uh, so I would say it's more that it's, it's the template style and it's year round. You don't have to live in Berkeley in June to make anything in my book, except for the strawberry tart. That was my one exception. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, is there one recipe that you feel you left out and maybe wish was there? And might that be your legacy recipe you're going to share today? Well, you know, I have about 200 recipes tucked away in my computer ready for a cookbook. And that's what's next. Do you have a legacy recipe? I know you've become really famous for your jammy tomato sauce. Would it be that one or is there another? That's such a good question. I'm just flipping it up, the book open right now. Um, 
I think probably that at this point is the the legacy <laughs> Oh, that and also, you know what? Something I call California pesto. So that, in other words, I, uh, it's empty out your fridge pesto. There are very few rules. You just got to keep tasting it, but you got to get your your parsley, your basil, your arugula in there. You got to get some acid, some cheese, some warm nuts. Anything goes. And uh, it's great on pasta, on toast, with chicken. Uh, I would say that that would be the one that as a, as a template for someone who's never made pesto before, just to help you loosen up a little bit, that would be a good, <laughs> good place to start. You know, it's not Marcella Hazan's pesto, which I've made and it's delicious. Um, it's perfect in its own way, but this is more, see what you have, open your cupboards, open your drawers, nothing needs to go to waste, throw every cheese in there and keep tasting it and you can, you'll love it, but you just, it, don't give up the first time you taste it. Keep adding, keep shifting, keep playing. It sounds wonderful. I don't always ask this question, but I just love the way you talk about food. So I'm a little bit curious. Did you have a favorite meal in your life that just stands out among all others? Well, my, yeah, my birthday, my birthday dinner that my parents always made was um, plank steak that was marinated all afternoon. I can still smell it sitting on the kitchen counter. It was with red wine vinegar and shallots, like a little Worcestershire sauce that would sit all afternoon. And then they would grill that up. And then my mom would make what she called risotto, um, but it wasn't made with with arborio rice. It was made with uh, just right, white rice and she would add cheese at the end. So she basically cheesy rice and flank steak and then chocolate chocolate mousse for dessert. So that would be my, the meal that comes to mind right away. I I've had a few other crazy 20 course meals in my life at various restaurants around the world, but, um, they don't, I don't remember <laughs> the details of those meals. That is, that is part of the problem with those very <laughs> lengthy dining experiences. But what is really touching my heart, it, it didn't even have to hesitate that you remembered your- Oh, yeah. And you know what? One more thought here, my birthday dinner. My, I haven't seen my family at all because we're all you know, it's sheltering in place and they're all close by. But on my birthday, my brother brought me a flank steak and left it on my front porch. My, I turned oh. 50 two weeks ago and my bro- that's what my brother brought me for a present, the flank steak. So it's that in like a part, that much a part of our, our family, my birthday, flank steak. Yeah, it was really Such sweet. A beautiful story. And this is really where food equals love. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. really I did. I might I might have cried when he brought the steak. I may cry now. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your amazing children who are now the uh, title of your blog and just about everything you do. So Isabel is how old? 17. 17. Wow. Jun- and, a junior. Yeah. And Dashiell is? He turns 13 in June. And would you ever want your children to go into the food world? What are your feelings about that? Oh, I I would be fine with whatever with, with whatever they choose. I mean, um, they don't seem interested, but if they were, I mean, but 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 they were when they were little, right? A lot when of they what were you, little, yeah. yes. And this is what I've been loving. So since you know, I'm looking for silver linings here. We've been home for six weeks now. They both they're making their breakfasts and their lunches. I'm not doing it at all. And I'm just a, a fly on the wall. They don't even necessarily know, like I'll be in the other room and I'm listening and I'll hear my son 
frying the egg. And um, I, my daughter will sometimes show me her lunch. She's been making avocado toast with a lepo pepper and a little pickle brine. So all, and garlic oil. So all these components that I leave out on the counter that I've been leaving out for years, they're, they're incorporating into their food. So I'm starting to see sort of what the impact of all those years cooking for them and having them help when they wanted, like how, how it has impacted their lives and how, how they are eating. It's, um, it's actually very moving to see. So, but yeah, if they wanted to cook for a living, I can tell them all about it and they can still do it. <laughs> we'll see. You've yeah. taught them very well. And I think in, in a way you've given them the same message that your parents gave to you, right? Do what you love. Oh, yeah, love follow your heart. You. Yeah. Thank you. Love that. Phyllis, there's one question I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is, what does One Woman Kitchen mean to you? Well, <laughs> it's interesting because I sort of run the kitchen in my house, and I, I hope I don't do it in an aggressive way, but it is it is my zone. It is my world. I know where every spoon is and every weird little thing, and I like to think that I welcome people in, and people do love to come into my One Woman Kitchen, friends and family. Um, but it is it is the center of the house for me. And I guess I would relate that to my mother as well and to my grandmother. I just see them in their kitchens and and sort of the orbit around them in that space. So that's that's what comes to mind when I think about one woman kitchen. It's wonderful. Thank you. And how can people get in touch with you? Well, they can follow me on Instagram um, uh, at Dash and Bella. So it's, and Twitter's the same. I'm not so active there, but it's at Dash and Bella for Twitter and for Instagram. And I have an email, Dash and Bella at Gmail. People can reach me there. And then I actually have one other thing that I wanted to mention. And that is, I have this at the end of my book. If anyone is dealing with some postpartum stuff that's really overwhelming and you need a little support, I have an email, which is everything is under control 2020 at Gmail. So feel free to reach out to me there. If you have any questions, I can send you towards people who can give you support. Or if you just want to tell me a few stories, I love hearing stories. It's easier. You, it, you know, it's, it's, it's easier as, as I talked about to, to get through the hard stuff. If you're, if you can write about it a little bit with somebody. So I'm, I'm ready to listen. Phyllis, you mentioned something about finding your food voice. Do you know exactly when that happened and how would you describe it? Oh, I would say it, it happened maybe about eight or nine years ago, right when I started doing a little more writing, doing the blog. My kids were a little bit older. I could sort of um, be a little less in my head and a little more sort of present in my life and start to enjoy it. I would say that that's uh, when I started cooking more confidently. And that would be, I would describe that as finding my food voice as, as confidence in the kitchen, as opposed to back in the restaurant days, scrambling to just keep up. Instead, it's it's sort of just sort of being in the moment and enjoying it and learning. And one more wonderful quote from a famous author too, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. She writes about your book, quote, like the best chefs, she, Phyllis Grant, knows how to make a masterpiece from a few simple ingredients. Truth, taste, poignancy, and love. This is a wonderful book. Thank you, Phyllis, for joining me. And thanks to all of you for joining Phyllis and me in my kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. 
follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.